November 8th, 2019, Friday here on That's What G Said Podcast, in the middle of Baby Watch 2019, a couple days overdue with the the little man, Stephanie and I are just hanging out, waiting for, waiting for his arrival, and so we're recording this on Friday, if over the weekend he does not arrive, we're going to go in on Monday, most likely, and uh, we'll probably have scheduled and induced labor, so Keep us all in your thoughts and prayers. Within the next few days, we will have a little baby here. There'll be a new member of the That's What G Said family. Thanks for all the support. We're getting lots of really nice messages from people checking in. Everyone's hoping uh, everything's going okay. Everyone wants to, to, to see pictures or know when he's around. So we'll definitely keep everyone posted. Thank you for all the kind words. Let's get right into business today. We're in the finals of the That's What G Said Best Scary Movies bracket. And we're down to two. Started out with 64. Now the two that are left, The Exorcist versus Halloween. So The Exorcist had to beat Shallow Grove, Night of the Living Dead, It, The Birds, and then Silence of the Lambs on its road to the finals. Halloween went through 28 Days Later, Children of the Corn, Alien, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then just beat The Shining. Down to two, get to that's what, uh, get get to, it's me, Gino B, on Twitter, follow along on Twitter, and then you can vote for the That's What G Said, best scary movie, final, Halloween, or The Exorcist. Coming up next, we'll be doing best football movies, we'll be taking all of your requests, we'll formulate a bracket, this bracket started with 64, down to two, The Exorcist versus Halloween. I don't get to vote because I set the polls up so I can't even vote. I would go, I would lean The Exorcist on there. To me, that was the one that really scared the hell out of me growing up. Speaking of, uh, of other watching, I'm going to, I just want to give you a heads up. Watch these shows next week and the next couple weeks. I'm going to be starting to talk more about them. We're going to recap some of these shows. These are things that I've been watching over the last couple weeks. The Kaminsky Method on Netflix. I get a kick out of this show. It's funny. Michael Douglas is an acting coach. He's uh, older. He's been a really respected acting coach throughout his life. And now he's just kind of dealing with getting older. And he doesn't like the fact that he's becoming an old man. And he's got to have to take lots of different medicine here. And his body's falling apart. I think it's really funny. There's a lot of good interactions in the acting classes. Go give it a watch. Season 2 just came out on Netflix. I l- just rattled right through it the other day. And so I'll, I'll let everybody have a few days to uh, to watch. And then we'll, we'll recap it next week on That's What G Said. The Morning Show. I, r- I really like this one. This is on Apple TV. The Apple TV Streaming Plus. I just started it. It's with uh, Steve Carell. It's basically like based on the Matt Lauer incident. And uh, all the Me Too stuff. It's about a, a news anchor. Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston are like the two main morning news anchors on the big morning news show. And then Steve Carell gets caught up in a scandal and they have to bring in a new host and they have to bring in someone new to the the network and that ends up being Reese Witherspoon. So I'm not going to dive a whole lot into it. There's four episodes now. I watched the, I think the fourth one just came out um, late Thursday, early Friday. So I've watched all four so far. Uh, same thing. I'll give you a few days. Keep an eye. Uh, start watching those. We'll talk more about them. Mrs. Fletcher on HBO. This one's kind of funny. Uh, I'm. I've always been a big fan of Catherine Hahn, and she looks great in this. Honestly, 
she she's always been one that would play like the real funny kind of dorky friend. She, I she looks you could tell she's gotten in great shape. Um, she's had some, maybe whatever she's done. Um, she just looks incredible in here. Real 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 thin. She looks like a leading lady. And this is a funny show. She's always had really really good comedy chops, and now you get to kind of see them um, develop and and in a show that's focused in around her her. She's a single parent And her son is leaving to college And she's dealing with all those feelings Of being alone, no one around um, She doesn't feel like Really she has as much purpose As she as she's had with her son there So we get to see her it, It's really funny so far I really don't even know what's going on yet But she's discovering like Porn when she's lonely And she's obviously on the way To having an affair with uh, a, a younger guy So I like where this is going. It's fun. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I also watched uh, Living With Yourself on Netflix. Go take a look at that one. <laughs> That's good with Paul Rudd. It's funny. It's about a guy whose life is struggling and he one of his friends gives him the idea and kind of gives him the advice to go to this spa that has helped turn his life around and he ends up getting caught in this weird case of mistaken identity. I it's great, if you like Paul Rudd, you'll really enjoy it You get a Tom Brady cameo in there too So we'll have a big uh, episode next week Where we, we have a, a real long segment Or a couple segments where we go through a lot of these different shows And we'll break down some of the episodes I've been watching The Affair uh, for the last 5-6 years And the season, the series finale just went I, I really, The Affair has gone I like the first, I think, two seasons And then there was like a a season in the middle, maybe season four, that I wasn't as high on, got kind of caught off track. Really loved how the affair ended. It was uh, it was emotional. I know my mom, as a big fan of the show, was crying. She asks me every day, "Did you rewatch the affair?" I think she's watched it three or four times. She loves how it ended. So maybe I can even get a get some thoughts from Mrs. B on the affair for next week because I know she uh, she absolutely loved that one. And then one more to keep an eye on: his dark materials. His Dark Materials is a, an adaptation of uh, of some novels that there's been a lot of buzz about. This is a new HBO kind of BBC show. It you can tell when you're watching it that they kind of want it to be like a Game of Thrones, Harry Potter mashup almost. Um, I don't really know the the backstory. I haven't read the books, so I just. Started in watching the show uh, the other day from the very beginning. Lynn Manuel Miranda is in it. Ruth Wilson, actually, who I just talked uh, about in the affair, uh, talking about the affair a little bit. She's also in the show, so give that one uh, a watch. His Dark Materials. We'll see how the first couple episodes come through. I just watched episode one. I liked it uh, visually. It's pretty cool. There's a lot going on, so it, it'll probably take at least a few episodes to flesh the whole story out. But. There are some really, really good things on TV right now. So, Kaminsky Method, Season 2 on Netflix, Morning Show on Apple TV+, Mrs. Fletcher on HBO, His Dark Materials on HBO, Living With Yourself on Netflix, The Affair on Showtime. Uh, also, Silicon Valley's back. We'll be watching that weekly on uh, on HBO. Silicon Valley, love that one. It's one of Stephanie's favorite. We like to uh, check in on that one each and every week. So, we'll talk to you about the guys... From Pied Piper on the next episode Get your entertainment In, don't want to spoil Stuff for anyone, and then next week We'll uh, we'll go through all these shows At the end of the episode 
Let's get to college football. Ugh. College football has just been brutal for me this year. Gotta be, gotta be honest, ugly. 12 and 16 with the plays this week. We've had some that were unlucky. There's just been some that have been bad. Gonna get back on track this week. The ones that, let's be honest, the ones that leave the most sour taste in my mouth are the Washington ones from the last few weeks. Washington against Utah, Washington against Oregon, both weeks up at home, double digits, and spit those games out as home dogs. Brutal. Brutal. We got the first college football playoff ranking out. Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Bama 3, Penn State 4, Clemson 5, Georgia 6, Oregon 7, Utah 8, Oklahoma 9, Florida 10, Auburn 11, Baylor 12, Wisconsin 13, Michigan 14, Notre Dame 15, Kansas State 16, Minnesota 17, Iowa 18, Wake Forest 19, Cincy, Memphis, Boise State, Oklahoma State, Navy, SMU round out the top 25. USC, I'm a big USC fan. They hired their new athletic director, uh, Mike Bone. Everything I've heard about him has been awesome. He's a very personable guy. He will literally go up and introduce himself to everyone. He'll remember their name. He came in immediately, and he's not a USC guy. He came in from Cincinnati, and that's a good thing for USC. They get too trapped and too caught up in this, everyone's got to be a USC guy. This has to be a USC person. This has to be part of the USC family. I don't think that's always the case. Sometimes it's good to go outside the box, especially when things have been struggling for a while, when you've been staying inside the family. So, likely that with the the struggling season it's been for USC, we all imagine that Clay Helton will be fired sooner than later. I would be shocked. If they lose this weekend to Arizona State, he should be fired immediately. Because the the problem that you're you're getting into right now when you're when you're USC is the longer and later you wait, you start to get really behind in recruiting. And everyone's expecting they're going to go get Urban Meyer, but what if somebody else offers Urban a ton of money and he goes there? I've not really been a fan of Urban Meyer because of the the discipline of a lot of his teams. Now, I think we can say one thing. He's an incredible coach on the field. He's a very good tactician. He, he recruits really good players. I'm just concerned as someone who's seen this USC program have a lot of it's been a dirty program let's be honest whether it be you know from paying players to coaching scandals to um you know people in places of power that were inadequate there there haven't been a lot of positives in the last really decade or so at at SC in the sports program after an unbelievable run of you know 10 15 years so getting Herb, would it help winning? Yeah, I mean, I'm conflicted on it because obviously he's he's a great coach and he's one of the best coaches out there. But I don't know if, if you know, a year or two, a good year or two, and then some, you know, negativity and players getting arrested. That, that's a big problem with Herb. He's had a lot of players get arrested, get into big trouble. And now you're going to have a team in Los Angeles out here in Southern California Lots of opportunity to get yourself into some trouble. From a football standpoint, I like it. From just an overall, is this good for the program? I don't know if it, if, if it will be, but I say this. 
what I like to hear from the athletic director, Mike Bone, and this is what what USC has kind of gotten away from in the last few years. The mantra at USC, fight on. But Mike came in right away and said, you know what? It's not fight on. It's fight on to victory. And I think that's a real key. You know, we hear Clay Helton talk about the, they're fighting and they're battling and they're struggling, they're trying, but there's no victory. It's fight on to victory. And I don't know if USC is going to be able to do it this week. They're, you know, they're a one and a half point underdog. They're going at ASU. USC could be five and five after this game. This is a year where they could have very easily been nine and one. And I'm not saying that because I think USC is as good as LSU or Alabama or Ohio State, right? But after that top tier of teams, USC could easily be the best team in the Pac-12 this year, even against Oregon, who's been pretty good and has a good defense. There's no reason a well-coached USC football team couldn't beat or couldn't have beaten Oregon at home this year. You look at all of USC's losses. I mean, they beat Utah. They lost at Washington, who we've seen isn't that good, and USC was right in that game. The BYU, I mean, at Notre Dame, where USC outplayed them early but just couldn't get into the end zone. It's frustrating as a fan. It's the most frustrating when your team has talent but you don't win games because there are going to be years where you're just not talented. And those are the years where you just say, okay, we're not good enough. I understand. But the years where you are good enough and where you're supposed to be winning games and you just feel like they're wasted years. It's been another wasted year under Clay Helton. And now I'm starting to feel bad for the players who have gone to the professional ranks because you look at them and they all seem like they're not well coached and they're not ready to go. Sam Darnold, right? Juju struggling this year. Ronald Jones took a while to get going. I don't know how, like, what kind of fundamentals have been instilled in them at the college level, and then they, you know, they move to the professional level, and it might be just a complete shell shock for them. Other big games nationally this week: number four, Penn State at number seventeen, Minnesota. Minnesota's undefeated. We get to that game in a second. Number two, LSU at number one, at number three, Bama. Now, these are in the the college football playoff rankings, the rankings I'm using. We have Kansas State at Texas, Iowa at Wisconsin, and Iowa State at Oklahoma. So some big games on the slate nationally. Let's get to our five plays for this week, five plays for this week. Let's get back on track with some winners. We'll start with Baylor minus the two at TCU. Baylor's 8-0. They are number 12 in the college football rankings. They had an awful game last week. I think they might have been looking ahead to their rival, Baylor and TCU. This is a rivalry game. Baylor lost three fumbles, but they were still able to get by West Virginia 17-14. They outgained them 453 yards to 219. And with TCU, their quarterbacks are both banged up from last week against Oklahoma State. I'm not sure if we're going to get the best performance from either one of them. I like Baylor in this game, minus two at TCU. Second game, Minnesota plus the seven against Penn State. How good is Minnesota? I mean, I don't think anybody really knows because they haven't played the toughest of the Big Ten schedule so far, but they have a very good defense. They're ranked 13th nationally in total defense. They run the ball well with over 204 yards per game rushing. They have the, the like when you look into them, they look like they could be a very good team. And if they are a very good team and if they are better than we think and it, you know, it's just a Minnesota team that we don't generally think of as a as a football powerhouse, and it's a Penn State team that we do. 
you're probably getting an inflated line here with at least a couple points. Minnesota plus seven is just too much. They could get blown out, and maybe this is a, a wake-up call, and maybe they're not they're not this good. But there is an opportunity that they are, and maybe they got a little confidence now. Seven points at home for a Penn State team that's kind of gone through a little bit of a tough road. Let's go Minnesota plus the seven at home. Third game, just talked about Washington and a couple of their tough losses. I mean, Washington's now lost three of their last four. They've had two brutal losses at home, went up double-digit points and blowing leads. They're now 5-4. and four. They have nothing to play for. Oregon State is 6-2 and two against the spread this year. They have back-to-back wins. They've won three of their last four. They are better than normal, and they are at home plus 10 against a Washington team that has to be flat. Oregon State plus the 10. Fourth game, San Jose State plus seven and a half at Hawaii. You know, San Jose State, they're a little bit feisty. They they played Boise State pretty well last week. Hawaii is horrendous as a home favorite. Their last 15, they are 1-13 and 1 against the spread. And you look at a different couple different places, like the projections, when you look on Odd Shark. They have projections in their game matchups What they'll give you like their idea of the score They actually have San Jose winning that game Straight up San Jose State plus the 7.5 At Hawaii And the final game will be the big game of the week LSU At Alabama Now The big question Tua, how healthy is Tua? And Is this the same Alabama team as they are each and every year? It doesn't feel like it. First of all, they're very rarely not favored by more than a touchdown. Don't see that all too often where it's just, you know, six and a half or seven. Usually, Bama's favored by 20. This is a different LSU team, though. This is a really different LSU team. They can score. They've played a tougher schedule. And you're they're coming off a game and they were awful against Auburn. Now both both these teams are coming off a bye. But last we saw LSU, they were terrible against Auburn and they won. And when I mean terrible is they were terrible at closing out drives. LSU had 30 first downs, Auburn had 16. LSU was 9 for 19 on third down, Auburn was 5 for 18. LSU had 508 total yards. Auburn had 287. LSU had a 33-minute time of possession compared to the just under 27 for Auburn. But the two turnovers hurt LSU. Both teams were penalized a ton. LSU had 12 penalties for 118 yards, and Auburn had 15. So that game was a little sloppy. It just didn't have a, a flow to it. Look around if you're playing LSU for the uh, for the sevens for the sixes and a half. I don't want. I wouldn't want to go less than six. But honestly, I think LSU will, can win this game straight up. I would not talk you off playing a little money line here on LSU. Also, five plays for college this week: Baylor minus two, Minnesota plus the seven, Oregon State plus the ten, San Jose State plus the seven and a half, LSU plus the six and a half.
NFL, let's get to the week nine recaps. Uh, 49ers, Arizona, 28-25. You know, this game wasn't quite as close as, as uh, it looks on paper. The 49ers played pretty well, and Jimmy G played really, really well. It was 28-14, and then it was 28-17, and the Cardinals were able to break a 90-yard touchdown. It was 28-25, San Francisco got the ball back, and they just ran out the clock. So I think it looks a little bit closer because they were able to break a 90-yard touchdown late. San Francisco continues to improve. I mean, this is a really good football team, and they're going to have a massive test coming up this week. We'll talk about Seattle and San Francisco in just a moment. Houston 26, Jacksonville 3. This game was in London, and Minshew, poor guy, just did not look good. I love Gardner Minshew. I love Minshew Mania. He struggled a little bit in the last couple weeks, and uh, Jacksonville's going to go back to Foles. The last five drives of the game for Jacksonville, turnover on downs, interception way overthrown, interception way overthrown, a fumble, and a fumble. He missed missed some throws, receivers dropped a few. There was a 4th and 10 that looked like a 1st down, but uh, Shark couldn't hold on to it. Just 74 yards rushing for the, the Jags, and 34 of that was Minshew scrambling around. The Texans ran for 216 yards, and they totally dominated and controlled the clock. Bills 24, Redskins 9. This is just one of those games you watch the Bills where it's like they just, they really did enough. They were playing pretty well early on. And it was up, they were up 17 3. The Bills really only had three drives in the first half. What was weird about this game and like every Washington game you see, there's not a lot of drives because Callahan just runs and runs and runs the ball now with the Redskins. So it's kind of sucked the life out of the clock. Buffalo was 6 for 12 on. Third downs, one for two on fourth. Washington was two for 11 on thirds, one, uh, 0 for one on fourth. The Bills had 39 rushes of their 61 plays. Peterson looked really good in this game, though. He had 18 carries for 108 yards and a, and a reception for 22 yards. Singletary looked really good. He was he was the key for Buffalo. They were able to, to pound it with Singletary, 20 carries for 95 yards, and then another... Three catches for 45 yards. The Chiefs 26, Vikings 23. Matt Moore, 267 yards, two touchdowns. Just shows you how good Andy Reid is. He looked, or 267, two touchdowns to the Packers last week, and then 275, a touchdown. And they beat the Vikings. He came from behind this week. Andy Reid, maybe with uh, clock management sometimes late, not the best. But when it comes to to running an offense and putting his players in, in positions to succeed, he is excellent. Vikings took a lead with uh, under 11 minutes left. Chiefs got the ball back. They had to punt. Uh, Vikes then had to punt back. Third and long. More converted. And the Chiefs were right at the end of the red zone. They were able to kick a field goal. 
tie the game. And the Vikings get the ball back. But batted down pass. Loss on a screen pass. Throw the ball away. Chiefs get the ball back again with the chance to win the game. And that's just what they do. Drive down the field. More escaped. Look good. Nice big completion to Kelsey. And they were able to get down for Harrison Butker. Fourth field goal of the day. 44 yards for the win for the Chiefs, who now get Patrick Mahomes back. That was a tough loss for the Vikings. You know, I, I know people like to give Kirk Cousins crap for losses in the big games. I didn't feel like that one was as much on him. I thought he played pretty well. He got them up actually late in the game, but he just couldn't couldn't seal the deal uh, when they had the lead and, and go up and, and get up by two scores. Dolphins, Jets. The Jets get beat by the Dolphins. The Dolphins, this was Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, 24 for 36, 288 yards. He had the best passing grade of pro football focus for the week. Top passing grade of the week. 17, uh, 17 passes thrown at 10 plus yards down the field. He completed 11 of them for 194 yards. That was his best grade in a start since week two of last season. The Jets are struggling. They've got some major issues right now. Eagles 22, Bears 14. The really frustrating thing about this game was, you know, you back the Bears and they're getting the crap kicked out of them early on. At halftime... The offense for the Bears had fewer than 10 net yards. Trubisky is terrible. They're down 12 nothing at the half. Then they're down 19 nothing. But they cut it. They come back. They cut it to 19-14 with 12 minutes and 43 seconds left. Both teams punt. Philly gets the ball back. They go on an 8 minute and 14 second drive. And they kick a field goal with 25 seconds left. Peterson never kicks field goals. We played the Bears plus the 5. They're pushing. All Philly has to do, it's third and five, and then it's fourth and two. All Philly has to do is go for the fourth and two at the Bears 20. Because the Bears have no timeouts left, and there's going there's 25 seconds left. So even if they don't get the fourth down, the Bears are gonna have to go 80 yards, score a touchdown with no time with no timeouts. Instead, Peterson kicks to go up by eight. That was a terrible decision. Because if the Bears block the kick and run it back, you could lose that game easily. That's like you're the, the, giving them a second chance. They didn't block the kick, but you can't give them an opportunity to do that late in the game. And Peterson's really aggressive. Generally, he goes for it there. That was one of our losses. Three disgusting beats last week. Over the last three weeks, I mean, we have had the worst beats of the entire college football or the entire NFL season, like have come in in the last few weeks. When people make a list of the worst beats of the year, we're going to be on them with a lot over this, these last few. This one was bad. And it wasn't because the Eagles didn't deserve to cover. They did. They really beat up the Bears early, but it, it just didn't fit the norm for Peterson there at that point in the game. The Eagles had 330, uh, 373 total yards to the Bears' 160. The Eagles had 26 first downs to the Bears' 10. 
Uh, they were 8 for 18 on third ballot percentage. The Bears were 2 for 10. And in time of possession, the Eagles, 40 minutes plus to 1942 for the Bears. Go from one disgusting beat to the next. Pittsburgh Indy. Bet on Indy in this game. Indy had more total yards, more yards per play. They led in the time of possession. But they had three turnovers, two fumbles, and a pick six. And seven penalties for 89 yards. Three penalties which give Pittsburgh an automatic first down. Indy was up 10-3. They were about to get up either 13-3 or 17-3. Jacoby Brissett gets hurt. Instead, Brian Hoyer throws a miserable pick six. He actually threw a touchdown pass prior to that. He throws a miserable pick six. And instead of being up 13-3 or 17-3, it's 10-10. The last play of the first half, unnecessary roughness on Indianapolis gives Pittsburgh 15-yard penalty and a shot at a 51-yard field goal. Indy gave Pittsburgh, literally gave them 10 free points in the first half. 14 points total off turnovers for Pittsburgh in the games. Three off penalties. Pittsburgh challenged a P.I. and or Indianapolis challenged a P.I. and missed. They missed a field goal and then they missed an extra point. They had a chance, even with all that, they had a chance to win the game and Vinatieri missed the field goal. When 15 things have to happen in order for you to lose, sometimes you're just going to shake your head and say, I guess we weren't meant to win that game because I have no idea how Indianapolis did not win that game. And Pittsburgh, again, benefits from a team struggling. You look, look at Pittsburgh's schedule. They've not played anyone who's played their best game really all throughout the year. Every time they catch a team, they catch them on a bad week. Panthers 30, Titans 20. I I backed the Panthers this one. This was one of our wins last week. But the Titans, they really hurt themselves. Suck up missed four field goals. The Titans had more first downs, more yards per play, more total yards. But they had three turnovers and 11 penalties for 99 yards. It was 17-0 at the half. Carolina was up. And then there was a fake punt with 9-10 left in the third quarter. They were up 17-7. That was actually a big uh, kind of turning point in the game because they scored a touchdown later that drive and it put them up 24-7. McCaffrey, I have to imagine he's one of the, uh, the leaders for the MVP, probably right behind Russell Wilson. 24 carries, 146 yards, two touchdowns, three receptions for 64 yards and a touchdown. Cam Newton is now done for the year. He is on IR. The Raiders. Well, we saw the Raiders. They've won two games now in a row. They beat the Lions 31-24. as their first game back in Oakland in seven weeks. Uh, two Detroit first-half turnovers really hurt them, and they turned into 14 Raider points. And then the Raiders came back, and they beat the Chargers on Thursday night football. So we'll recap that game next week once we're able to do the rewatch and get into some of the uh, the specifics of it. Talk about another bad loss. Seattle 40, Tampa 30. We bet Tampa... Plus five and a half, plus six in here. The game was tied. Seattle was going to kick a field goal to win the game. And uh, they missed the field goal, which forces overtime. And then they go win by six, which is just unbelievable. Uh, another dis... So the, the, the three uh, losses we had last week were the field goal that was kicked against the Bears with 20 seconds left. Uh, a field goal missed by Seattle, which would have covered. And a field goal missed by Indianapolis. That stings. That stings. I think Seattle might have been looking ahead, though. They have a big week coming up this week where they play the 49ers. 
Bucks really didn't deserve to lose that game. And Ronald Jones is starting to play well. He came and came into the mix. I think he's going to be the back for the second half of the season for the Bucks. And Jameis looked pretty good. He really did. Another amazing, huge game for Mike Evans. Broncos 24, Browns 19. Ugh. If you've been back in the Browns, we didn't back the Browns last week. We've we've had the Browns a couple weeks when they've had some bad losses. But man. They reached this, the red zone on their final four drives of the first half and they came away with four field goals. They went back to the red zone, fourth and one on the Broncos five. It looked like they got the first down, but they were called short. So they had 12 points starting the fourth quarter, and then they started to improve a little bit. It's just the same thing with the Browns all the time. They shoot themselves in the foot, right? They had 73 total plays compared to Denver's 43. They had more total yards, more first downs. The time of possession, 35-30 for Cleveland compared to 24-30 for Denver. Without looking at the score, you absolutely would have thought the Browns crushed the Broncos. That's how a lot of their games are. Silly penalties, a little bit unlucky in a call or two from the refs, and then just poor, poor coaching, poor decisions overall. Chargers Packers. What a beatdown, huh? This this just felt like a Packers no-show. The Chargers had 24 first downs, the Packers 13. Chargers had 68 total plays to the Packers 49. Chargers were 5-11, 5 of 11 on third down. The Packers were 2 for 10. Chargers had 442 total yards compared to the Packers 184. Time of possession Chargers 35-51 to the Packers 24-09. This game was 19-0 with 3.56 left in the third quarter. Rodgers only had 161 yards passing. Aaron Jones only had eight carries for 30 yards and one reception for negative one yard. The new Chargers OC looked good in this game. It didn't look as good in the game against the Raiders. They had zero three and outs and just one punt against the Packers. And the Chargers seem like they're getting healthy, but they had a bad loss against the Raiders on Thursday Night Football that we'll recap next week. Gordon has been playing better in this particular game against the Packers. He had 20 carries for 80 yards, two touchdowns, three receptions for 29 yards. Chargers beat the Packers up. And then two other blowouts that were late. The Ravens just crushed the Patriots. The Ravens were up 17-0. It wasn't even like the Ravens played a perfect game. They had two turnovers and they still crushed the Patriots. Look at the time of possession. Baltimore, 37 minutes plus to the Patriots, just under 23. Baltimore had 210 yards rushing. Ingram had 15 carries for 115 yards. Lamar Jackson had 16 carries for 61 yards. They had 10 different receivers targeted and 7 different receivers that caught a pass. The Ravens. 37, the Pats, 20. Lamar Jackson jumping up into that MVP conversation now. 
And the Cowboys, 37, Giants 18 We had the black cat on the field in this one Giants were up 12-3 With 2.50 left in the half And then somehow they go into the half Down 13-12 to 12. You scratch your head going, what? A terrible interception by Jones Gave Dallas a free field goal And then the Giants second half Punt, fumble Kick a field goal on 4th and 5 From their own 8 or from 4th and 5 from the 8 They kick a field goal on 4th and 10 from the 11 Like why aren't you going for it What do you have to lose at this point If you're the Giants Go for it when you're You know in the red zone And it's 4th down in less than 15 Even 4th and 10 on the 11 The black cat on the field in this game Football's weird Mentioned it in a tweet As in the last few weeks We've had the uh, Sam Darnold scene ghost The Baker Mayfield look after the press conference Oh he looked Where he shaved multiple times He looked like a like a salesman there No color Real white Looks like he's aged 25 years In 6 months And then the cat on the field In the Cowboys Giants game Those are your week 9 Recaps before we get into the week 10 plays, I want to let you know about one of our sponsors, Cindy Carava. So, right now, head to cindycarava.com. She is a full service realtor. If you need anything, anything at all in the field of real estate, make sure to contact Cindy Carava. We know moving is really stressful, all of the process of relocating, there are like a Ton of different things you have to worry about You want to make sure that you have someone who's on your side Who's looking at everything Who's going to check all the boxes for you Because you're, there's no way you're going to be able to focus in On everything that happens And Cindy can help you If you're in- interested in buying, selling, leasing If you want to improve your, your home She can help you find vendors like handyman And painters and landscapers Gardeners that she's personally used She can help get you set up for pre-approval For a home loan Connecting you with lenders She works out of San Gabriel Valley Covering San Gabriel Valley And parts of North San Diego County Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe If you need anything at all Send her an email CindyC.Realtor at gmail.com Maybe you're just curious In seeing how much your home is worth She'll do a free market analysis Of your home's value You can find all about her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube There's reviews on Yelp and Zillow Cindy Carava, C-A-R-A-V-A, CindyCarava.com NFL Week 10 Plays Well, first let's get to the the Week 10 games in general And we'll we'll mention our plays as we get through them Chiefs at Tennessee Now this game is up to 6.5 and I like Tennessee in here Tennessee plus 6.5 at home They lost last week They had 11 penalties, 3 turnovers, 3 missed field goals It was a bad loss to Carolina But on you know you watch the game And ten, it was Tennessee's fault Now I like the fact that Tennessee's Going to face a Kansas City team That's coming off a big Huge emotional win with more now they're getting Mahomes back. This game just is too high. It should be like three and a half. It's up to six and a half. I don't know if Tennessee wins the game, but I think this could be a game where Kansas City's a little flat. They're trying to get Mahomes back into it. We still don't know how healthy he is. He's probably going to be a step slower too. I think Tennessee covers this game plus six and a half 
at home. The Bears, they're minus two and a half at home against the Lions. I'm going to take the Bears here. I think the Lions are the better team. I really do. I just think the Bears figured something out a little on offense in the in the second half of last week, and Detroit's defense is not very good. So I do think that the, the the good Chicago defense will be able to slow down Detroit's offense a little bit, which might become a one-dimensional because I don't know if they can run the ball that well right now. Detroit's got back-to-back road games at the end of a really tough stretch. They've lost four out of five, and there are some heartbreaking losses for Detroit. When you look through their last five games, I mean, they could have won all of them. And instead, they come into this game with a losing record. They're kind of scratching their head. I think we're going to see this Chicago Bears defense show up, and I think the Bears win this game here. And I think we, for a week or two, we, we don't hear uh, as much about Trubisky and Nagy. Expecting a big game for Allen Robinson. The Browns, minus two and a half versus the Bills. The Browns, every week we look at the Browns and go, wow, that was probably the right side of the game. And we, I just hope they don't shoot themselves again in the foot. They've, The Bills have benefited from an easy schedule. When I say easy, I'm talking the 32, number 32 of 32, the easiest schedule in the league. The Browns have had the number two toughest schedule. In the league. Just look at their opponents. You could tell. For all the crap we give the Browns, they could have easily won again last week. They got a bad spot. They had four field goals in the first half and poor tackling. Baker had that goofy look. And we've heard all week the problems again, the problems again. We're going to see the Browns have, I don't know if they're going to be able to rattle off, you know, seven or eight wins in a row. But we will see the Browns have at least two or three games the rest of the year where they're awesome, they beat up an inferior opponent, or maybe even the Ravens, who they play again, and we scratch our head and go, wow, this was, this was the upside that we thought with the Browns. It's my third play. Browns, minus two and a half. I'm going to stay away from the Ravens-Bengals game. This one feels kind of like a trap game to me. Ravens are, are double-digit favorites at the Bengals. Minus 10, 10 and a half now. I just, I'm going to stay away from this one. If I was going to lean, I would lean to the Bengals. This is over under is 45 and a half. I'd lean Bengals at home, but it won't be one of my plays. Tampa, the Bucks, frustrating loss last week. You look at their loss against Tennessee, where they absolutely should have won that game. They absolutely should have won the game against the Giants, where they blew. And, and then you start to, to dig into Tampa, and they're just a little bit better than their record would suggest. They're playing against an Arizona team who comes off a game where they played close against San Francisco. I think everyone's going to see that and go, oh man, you know, Arizona was right there with San Francisco. They're a pretty good team. Well, remember they broke that 90-yard run late and that made the score look a little bit closer. I don't think there was any point where anyone thought Arizona was going to win that game. San Francisco had it in hand throughout. I'm just worried about Arizona's opportunity and ability to stop Tampa. Tampa should score a ton of points in here. I mean, this game, there should be a ton of points scored in this game. And the over-under is actually 52? and a half, Which has gone down. And I would play over also in this game. But Tampa minus the 4.5 going to be one of the plays this week. Saints-Falcons. Saints are minus 13. 
Falcons have been miserable. Saints have been awesome. This feels weird to me. Like, I'm not going to play the Falcons, but if I was, I would lean the Falcons plus the 13. I don't think they're going to win, but you got 13 points in a divisional game. Matt Ryan's going to come back. The Saints could be up, you know, 17 late, and the Falcons could get a garbage touchdown, which they're they're big-time fans of, of those garbage scores. Then we got the Giants-Jets game. Two teams that share the same stadium. The Giants are favored over the Jets. Giants minus two and a half. This is at the Jets. It's not at the Jets. They they play in the same stadium. Over under 43 and a half. I'd lean the Jets just because I feel like these two teams are pretty evenly matched. The, the Jets are bad. I understand why they're a slight underdog, but I still feel like you probably get a little a little more value on the Jets side. Indy, who beat us up last week with uh, that that brutal non-cover. They're minus 10 and a half against the Dolphins. And I don't I just don't know if this indie team is going to have to win this game by 11. We don't know if Brissett's going to play. This game is now up to 11 and a half, 12. Don't know if Brissett's going to play. No, we do know that TY Hilton is going to play and they have not won a game with they have not won a game where T.Y. Hilton hasn't played since T.Y. Hilton's been a Colt. I mean, I'm, I'm leaning Miami here. They've been feisty. They're trying. I think they're actually a pretty well-coached football team. They just haven't had players. They've been undermanned. I'm willing to give Brian Flores a shot. I wouldn't be shocked if they won a couple games late and upset teams that were thinking they're still going to find that same Miami team from early in the year. This is a better Miami team now. They're trying hard. These are guys playing for their their NFL futures. The Rams minus three and a half at Pittsburgh. I like the Rams in this game. They're coming off a bye. Uh, San Francisco and Seattle play. So the Rams are guaranteed to make up ground on one of them as long as they win. Pittsburgh's win against Miami was bad. Remember that touchdown at the end of the half when Miami just was not tackling and Pittsburgh really got it's funny. I'm just talking about how much improved Miami is and then I'm going to go ahead and say a couple weeks ago they blew a, a game against Pittsburgh, which they did. And last week, Pittsburgh needed the divine intervention in order to beat the Colts and all those things that happened that were completely on the Colts. No James Conner for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just played the number 18 ranked defense and now they're going to play the number 3 ranked defense. When we think about the Rams, we don't think about a team that has a really great defense. Well, actually, they've been really good this year. Even when they got the crap kicked out of them in that game against Tampa and they left, they gave up a ton of points. They're the third best ranked defense by DVOA. I like the Rams. Minus 3.5 in here. Packers. Minus five against the Panthers. Packers got crushed last week by the Chargers. Now we have another week with Devontae Adams back. Packers are coming back home. They're playing a Carolina team that last week benefited from Tennessee's mistakes. Now Cam Newton's on IR. There's no pressure on Kyle Allen, but he's going to have to go play in the cold at Lambeau. And I think the pressure of is Cam Newton going to come back and maybe take the job, that might have been helping Kyle Allen to perform better. I think he gets a little too relaxed in this spot. I'm concerned that cornerback James Bradbury is banged up for Carolina. 
Aaron Rodgers could throw all over them. I like the Packers in here, minus the five is one of my plays this week. Cowboys minus three against the Vikings. It's the Kirk Cousins. Prime time against a good team, against a good defense. I'm sure everyone is going to take the Cowboys. I'm going to stay away from this game, but I would I would lean the other way just because of you have to imagine everyone's going Cowboys in here with all those trends. I mean, just the Kirk Cousins on primetime games, horrible. And then having to deal with a, another good team. I still would lean Minnesota, though. Going to be a stay away for me. And then the final play, final game of the week will be the Monday night football game. It's going to be an awesome game with the undefeated 49ers against Seattle. This game is up to six and a half. I think San Francisco is the better team. I think San Francisco is the most likely winner of this game. I think San Francisco is going to be a playoff team. They're going to be really tough every week, week in and week out. Six and a half is too much in a divisional game like this against Russell Wilson because Seattle could win this game, right? It's not a game where San Francisco's playing against an inferior opponent where you're looking and going, well, that team could not beat San Francisco. Seattle absolutely could. That doesn't mean they will. I still think San Francisco wins this game by a field goal. But if you want to bet a few bucks on Seattle money line, I wouldn't talk you off it. I'm I'm not going to myself. I think this is a close game that San Francisco is able to squeak out. I think Wilson keeps him close and San Francisco wins this game late, but not by a touchdown. And and that just feels too much for me. What I like about this game, I think both of these teams were looking kind of looking ahead last week. San Fran, they weren't their best version of themselves against Arizona, but they were still okay. And then Seattle really could have lost to Tampa. They were down big early, and they had an overtime win against Tampa. Seattle has the number three ranked offense in the league, and San Francisco has the number two ranked defense in the league, only behind the Patriots. And to be honest, I think San Francisco's defense is actually better than the Patriots. They seem more dominant, and the Patriots have played an easier schedule. But both of these teams have actually played pretty soft schedules too. Seattle has played the 24th, Toughest schedule, San Francisco has played the 28th toughest schedule. So this is a big game. I just don't think San Francisco needs this game nearly as much as Seattle does. Look at San Francisco's schedule coming up. They have Arizona. Then they play Green Bay at Baltimore, at New Orleans, Atlanta, the Ravens, and at Seattle. So their next... Eight games, or excuse me, uh, I said Baltimore and the Ravens twice. It was They play at Baltimore, and then they play the Rams. So Seattle, San Francisco game. Seattle is going to provide, I think, a pretty tough opponent for San Fran. And then San Fran's got Arizona, Green Bay, at Baltimore, at New Orleans, Atlanta, the Rams, and at Seattle. It's not an easy schedule. Not an easy schedule. So here's the plays for the week. Tennessee, plus six and a half. Bears, minus two and a half. Browns, minus two and a half. Tampa, minus four and a half. Seattle, plus six and a half. Rams, minus three and a half. Packers, minus five. Yeah, I remember the great one and three last week with those nasty losses. Remember the great start to the year we had? We were well over 500 early on. Just a, 
we've had two really bad weeks. That's what's frustrating. So 29 and 25 overall. And we went 0 and 6 one week and 1 and 3. Take those two weeks. I know you can't take those two weeks out, but it just kind of shows you that you want to be consistent week in and week out. You know you're going to have a couple good weeks and a couple bad weeks here and there. As long as you say consistent week in and week out, you're going to be okay. Let's stick to our guns. Let's continue to play smart. We'll continue to play lines that we think we get value on. Don't take bad numbers. You know, if you could have gotten a, you like a team, you could you could have gotten seven. Don't take five and a half. You know, always make sure you you demand and you find those best numbers. Tennessee plus six and a half, Bears minus two and a half, Browns minus two and a half, Tampa minus four and a half, Seattle plus six and a half, Rams minus three and a half, Packers minus five. We are into November now, so now we know what you're thinking about. What? Holiday time. It's going to be Thanksgiving before we know it, and then into Christmas. You're going to need to get your Christmas shopping done. I have the solution for you. Sarah Candle Company. C-E-R-A Candles.com is the website. Their goal is to create a candle, natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. I talked to you about Sarah Candles a little bit in the intro, setting up the show, and I want to remind you one more time. I know these people. I trust them. I have been using these candles now. They are excellent. They are all natural, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants that are present in most of the other major candle companies that have paraffin wax. They're going to give you instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. People that love candles created this company. They they were just experimenting, trying to create candles for themselves. They wanted to create the perfect candle. And now it's blossomed in to Sarah Candle Company. Throughout their research, they were able to discover the benefits of all natural soy wax. These candles are great. 25 different scents available, three different sizes Go to candles.com and once you're done with your shopping, toss in the promo code G-I-N-O, Gino, you're going to get 10% off your purchase. So I'll be doing a lot of, uh, of my Christmas shopping on sarahcandles.com. Make sure to use that promo code Gino for 10% off your purchase. World of Wrestling continues funny poor stephanie i feel i feel bad for uh for my poor love because every every time she looks up she says another wrestling show i don't that's probably not the way that she sounds that's a terrible impersonation that i just did but uh yeah that's another wrestling show that we're watching monday night raw tuesday we got nwa power and we got uh aew dark Wednesday, we got AEW Dynamite and AEW NXT. Friday, we've got SmackDown. And then the the pay-per-views and events on the weekends, like this weekend, with AEW Full Gear. They have a a big pay-per-view event this weekend. And they're coming off their go-home show. If you missed AEW Dynamite on Wednesday, I just wanted to mention a few things about it. We saw Orange Cassidy, who's a real throwback, doing some sweet shin music early. But what you have to watch is the promo that Cody Rhodes cut. It was an excellent, excellent promo. He 
uh, comes out to the ring because Cody Rhodes is going to be facing Chris Jericho for the All Elite Wrestling World Championship in their pay-per-view coming up this weekend called Full Gear. He mentions if he doesn't beat Chris Jericho, he will never challenge for the World Championship again. He's heard the complaints that he is a member of the management and he's going to be in a championship match. And what I, I like this promo, I mean, it was intense. Cody said he's heard Jericho calling him a, quote, millennial bitch and someone who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, Cody called Jericho a, quote, stupid dick. He told Jericho, uh, Jericho, you need this generation more than it needs you. And Cody said, I went from undesirable to undeniable. And this was an intense, passionate promo. Uh, There's been a lot of buzz about it online. It was really good. Go check out that promo if you didn't get the chance to watch All Elite Wrestling last week. And then there was a video. That was a mock video from Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle. Last week, the last couple weeks, we've seen these videos about Cody Rhodes. They're talking about Cody's journey to, to battle for the championship. And this was mocking Cody's videos. And completely making fun of him. This was hilarious. The two things please go out of your way to find. The Cody promo. And this this little video package that mocked it. It was a Jericho video. Uh, there's, you know, flashes of Jericho in the bathtub drinking his bubbly. A little bit of the bubbly. Sammy Guevara is hilarious. Talking about how... Chris Jericho is in the prime of his life. He's the youngest AEW champion ever at 48. Um, Virgil is in this video. Remember Virgil from from WWE? He is talking about how Chris Jericho's talent is like the Olive Garden breadsticks, unlimited. Um, Then we get a, a, a person who's commenting in the video and we find out that it's Chris... Chris Jericho's aunt's friend from church who said she knows that Chris always wanted to be the AEW world champion and AEW's only been around for, what, six months? This video was incredible. Talking about it does not do it justice. Please go take a look at that AEW uh, promo from Cody Rhodes and then the video, the, the package, making fun of Cody's the last few weeks. The Full Gear Show... Just a real quick run through of the card uh, on the buy-in will be Britt Baker, uh, Britt Baker versus B Priestley. We're gonna have a women's championship match, uh, Riho versus Sakura. We're also gonna get the Young Bucks versus uh, part of the Inner Circle, proud, uh, proud and powerful. A three-way tag team championship match, Lucha Bros versus SCU versus Private Party. Sean Spears looks like he's getting a little bit of a push. He's going to have uh, Blanchard in his corner against Janela in a singles match against Joey Janela. And then some of the big matches. We're going to have Hangman Page versus Pac. We're going to have Moxley versus Omega in a lights out match. And then for the AEW World Championship, Cody versus Jericho. If Cody does not win, he will not be able to fight for the AEW Championship again. And I'm curious just to see what they do with that stipulation. It doesn't feel like it's the time for Cody to win yet. Jericho's doing a great job as a heel with the championship. And and who, having whoever chase Jericho, I feel like, is the best move. But what do you do with Cody? Is it going to be some kind of a schmoz where they can... I just... 
AEW is is priding themselves on being a company that will have storylines that make sense. They're not going to, you know, say something and then completely go back on it and forget about it like WWE tends to do a lot of the time. All Elite Wrestling this weekend, Saturday night for the Full Gear show. And then you know, WWE it's been kind of a lull for a while, but I will have to say the last week I, I've really enjoyed the programming a lot. And a lot it, many of the times it's because of an incident. The a lot of the talent was backed up. They had some issues getting back from Saudi Arabia. There was a lot of rumors about what the issues were, if they were uh, you know, in, in Vince McMahon, the crown and the crown prince got mad at each other, all the way down to uh, the plane just had a mechanical issue and they were late getting back. But where a lot of the talent couldn't get back for SmackDown on Friday last week, it created this NXT invasion storyline angle where we're now going to have w, uh, Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT at Survivor Series. We got to see Adam Cole in the main event. Against Daniel Bryan one on one in a really good match. Brock Lesnar quit SmackDown, goes over to Raw because he's going to be feuding now with Rey Mysterio. I like everything we're seeing with Rey Mysterio and Brock. And then we got to see a lot of these NXT uh, superstars come in. Shayna Baszler came in, uh, destroyed Bailey, Keith Lee, and Matt Riddle. Some interactions with Sami Zayn. Tommaso Ciampa came in and uh, and had his way with the Miz, and then we saw Dan- uh, we saw Daniel Bryan interacting with Shawn Michaels and-, and Triple H, who are you know Team NXT. They mentioned that it's going to be NXT versus Raw versus SmackDown. We saw Rhea Ripley and Tegan Knox. So we got a real good group uh, of NXT and invading. Smackdown. We closed things out with the Daniel Bryan Adam Cole match, which was really, really good. Raw and then NXT this previous this week weren't as much on the invasion. Uh, Raw did have uh, some NXT superstars showing up, and then on NXT we did have a few Raw superstars, AJ Styles and the Club showing up. What I liked about Raw was the more of a the Lesnar Ray stuff where Ray Mysterio. This is a good angle for Ray. He's he's pissed off. I think Ray and Brock are gonna have a really good match at Survivor Series. Really bad long tag women's tag match between Oscar, Kyrie, and Natty and Charlotte, which you just wouldn't expect from from the four of them. And I, I don't like the fact that Oscar just taps out clean. Got a really good, passionate promo from Rey Mysterio. And I like the Seth Rollins, Triple H stuff here. It don't for the for a while, I'm first time in a while I'm kind of interested in Seth. Seth has been a little whiny, a little bit cold late. Remember, it was early in the year and in the end of 2018 when Seth got got real over with the crowd, and it was mainly just because of, of the in-ring work. He feels like he's getting a little healy right now. Seth does. And in the Seth Rollins-Adam Cole match, at the end of that match, was not a clean finish. 
Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly came out. They interrupt. And then we have a big brawl. We Damian Priest is in the mix. Dijakovic is in the mix. Undisputed Era. I like I like what we're seeing here. And uh, I, I'm I'm interested and I'm invested in the NXT versus SmackDown versus Raw storylines that we've been getting. Final segment, uh, we'll, we'll talk some horse racing. Let's go through the Breeders' Cup Friday and Saturday. Quick thoughts, and then we'll give you some plays for this weekend for Del Mar. All the drug tests performed on horses in the Breeders' Cup came back clean. Uh, some news and notes before we get into just the full Breeders' Cup. Jose Valdivia Jr. is going to be riding back in Southern California. He plans to remain here in 2020. The 15-day Del Mar meet opens on Friday, so when you're listening to this, it comes out on Friday. It'll be opening day for... Lots of turf. They're going to try to run four turf races a day as long as it's not wet. They have nine stakes on grass and a big closing weekend with the Hollywood Derby and the Matriarch. Thunder Snow has been retired, the two-time winner of the Dubai World Cup. Tis the Law, grade one champagne winner. We're pointing to the Kentucky Jockey Club, hoping that a win in the Jockey Club could secure them an Eclipse Award. Independence Hall, a nice two-year-old wins the Nashua, gets a buyer of 101. Paradise Woods, retired after the Breeders' Cup distaff. Ollie's Candy will run in 2020, though. Sharing could run at Royal Ascot in 2020 for Graham Motion. Bricks and Mortar, retired. An unbelievable year for Bricks and Mortar, capping it off with the Breeders' Cup win. United, who was second in the Breeders' Cup turf, behind Bricks and Mortar, could come back to run in the Hollywood Turf Cup in November at Del Mar. Got Stormy and Uni, they're going to be back for the 2020 season, the top two finishers of the Breeders' Cup Mile, and Kofivi, also going to be back for 2020. So Breeders' Cup Friday, early in the card before the Breeders' Cup races, there was a, a win from a nice horse named Ben Studying Her, who won the Golden State Juvenile Phillies. This is a, a filly who tried the grade one champagne but had a nice win on the turn back. Just keep an eye on her. That grade one champagne might have just been a little too much early. And I think she's a nice filly with some quality. In the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, we saw four-wheel drive just wire the field. Uh, Chimney Rock ran on really, really well down on the inside. Kamari had some traffic trouble, came on late. But this was four-wheel drive who was just very, very impressive on the front end and was just too quick for this group. Structor in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf got a great, great trip and and a nice opening in the middle of the stretch and able to get get the victory there and get by Billy Bats late. Decorated Invader is a horse you want to keep an eye on at a brutal trip. Traffic early, wide move, was still passing horses late. He was passing horses and he was flat. So that's what was amazing is he really had no turn of foot, but just was still able to get by horses just because he was better than them. Arizona also had a tough trip. Graceful Kitten, who had the lead in the stretch, hit the rail and tired. In the juvenile Phillies, it didn't look like Donna Veloce was just going to go right by and win by five. She was getting a beautiful trip in here. Angled around, was battling through the stretch, but just couldn't 
couldn't hold off British Idiom. British Idiom was struggling a bit over the racetrack early. He was struggling over the ground, was bumped around, was in tight going into the turn. And Donna Veloce got the jump on British Idiom, got a perfect trip sitting behind horses battling. Donna Veloce angles around. But as soon as she moved, British Idiom went with her. And it just felt like a little too much to ask for Donna Veloce in just her career start number two. Bast held pretty well for third after pushing the pace early. Looks like British Idiom will be headed to fairgrounds in December and could be pointing to the Rachel Alexandra on February 15th as a comeback race uh, to start the three-year-old season. Sharing your winner of the Juvenile Phillies Turf. This was the one race that really, really hurt me on Friday. This cost me uh, the, the pick five. Is it? Didn't have Sharing, but did have Daya, who was right behind Sharing. Sharing sat in between horses just a couple lengths off, was always traveling well, angled out, and really no excuses for Daya because Daya was just behind, has dead aim. There just wasn't a ton of passing going on. Most all weekend, there wasn't a ton. A lot of horses didn't seem to take to coming from way behind on the grass or on the main track. Some horses did, but it just felt like many didn't enjoy it and couldn't make up a lot of ground. And this was one of the races where Sharing just getting getting a perfect trip. Albina making up some ground late. Cristal just getting brutally wide like always. And that's the one race that ends up costing us a bunch because... In the Breeders' Cup Juvenile We actually had Storm the Court on our pick 5 tickets And we had Storm the Court as the Long shot in the race Now, I didn't like Storm the Court Nearly as much as I liked a horse like Scabbard Who was a horse I singled I thought Scabbard was the play For me, the real play in this race was kind of Just being cold on Dennis's moment and 8 rings And still Weren't able to capitalize because I didn't have Wrecking Crew anywhere, I didn't have a new door Storm the court right to the lead. Dennis's moment broke on his nose from his rail. A bad stumble. I'm willing to give Dennis's moment a shot back. I think he would have been pretty close. And with with him stumbling, that just changed the complexion of the race. Scabbard was kind of bumped around a little bit going into the turn. He recovered pretty well. He settled five off. He just couldn't make up any ground. Absolutely no excuses for eight rings, who sat second and just could not go by. A new door ran huge in the first dirt try Just career start number two It just was not a sexy race overall And I don't know if we saw the Kentucky Derby winner In that Breeders' Cup Juvenile, to be honest Saturday Breeders' Cup The Philly and Mare Sprint Kicked off the Breeders' Cup action I was... I've knocked Kofibi sometimes this year And I've played against her in some spots uh, This was a really impressive win She was a step slow from the rail She was able to angle out and sit Behind two dueling leaders and She was able to get just off the rail a bit Into the two path And she moves up three deep at the top of the stretch There was a moment where it looked like she was kind of all in But I think when she got up on even terms With a couple of other rivals That gave her a second wind and she had to hold off a nice challenge from Bellafina. Don the Destroyer was on the scene late for third. Kofivi making her, will be making a return in 2020, and she's going to be very, very tough in the Philly and Mare Sprint Division. Belvoir Bay, one of the horses who was lost in the fires last year, is now a Breeders' Cup 
winner, a Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint winner. This is another Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint win for Peter Miller, who, remember, won with Stormy Liberal in back-to-back years. Belvoir Bay just flew early, cleared the field, and then what tends to happen in all these turf sprints, you're going to have three or four horses who get in some trouble, who get in some traffic trouble, and they weren't able to make up any ground late, and I don't know if it would have mattered. Eddie Haskell had to take up early, Steubens and Legend of War both had trouble. Not sure if it would have if it would have mattered because it felt like Belvoir Bay just ran them off their feet. Peter Miller, not only did he win, but he also ran one two uh, there with Om. The Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. This was the big ass fans Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Spun to run, flew early, opened up. Going into the turn, going into the first turn, the race was really over because Colefront broke well, and we know Colefront as a speed horse. But instead of pushing Spun to run or going to battle for the lead, Colefront took back, off the pace a little bit. Spun to run gets the lead, and the race is over. Your favorite Omaha Beach was seventh at one point in the race was nine lengths off, and and ended up dropping back from like six lengths off. So. At even six lengths off, that was too far. And then losing a couple more lengths in the middle of the race. Mike Smith, one of the all-time great riders, one of the absolute best. But I think with a couple of these horses lately, this has happened. I don't know if it was the track or maybe just kind of getting a little too comfortable in the middle of the race. But you'll notice that Omaha Beach and Midnight Bisu had similar running lines where they were, you know, still... Farther out of it than they wanted to be And then they dropped back a few more lengths So by the time he asked Omaha Beach for a run He was just way too far out of it Lost a couple more lengths Asked for a run Too much to do Blue Chipper held really well for third He tried to press Spun to run But he just couldn't He just couldn't Spun to run is a little too quick for him Spun to run over Omaha Beach Over Blue Chipper In the dirt mile the Philly and Mare Turf was, I think, of all of the favorites, the one who was probably the most disappointing because she felt like she had every opportunity to win this race. Sister Charlie got what she wanted, a pace to run at. Mirth opened up about 10 lengths in here. Basilica was sitting second. Iridessa was third. And Sister Charlie moved into contention. At the top of the lane, she was just outside of Iridessa. Absolutely no excuses for Sister Charlie Who just didn't have the late punch She was a fine third It just wasn't her best Another instance where there was not a lot of passing Going on in this turf course Iridessa was very well placed And had to work hard to get by Vasilica who just sat second Behind the runoff leader Mirth Didn't see big moves from the back of the pack And maybe the, the turf course Had something to do with Sister Charlie just being a little bit flat The Breeders' Cup Sprint had an unfortunate scratch of Imperial Hint. And I, I think that made me a little dejected for the race because I wanted to see Imperial Hint and Matoli. And the, the issue I've had with Matoli all year, who he was awesome. I mean, he was so good in this race. He's such an excellent horse. I just wanted to see him have to do it against really good sprinters. And the only time he faced Imperial Hint, he was down on the inside and he lost. And he didn't have to worry about Roy H all throughout the year, who we didn't get to see. And he didn't have to worry about World of Trouble, 
So some of the best sprinters of this year and of the last couple of years, I would have loved to see Matoli face, and he didn't have to. But he he was awesome in here. I, I've knocked Matoli sometimes. He broke well. Chancellor cleared off by a couple lengths with no real pressure. Matoli was back to fourth. He was like three or four lengths off of it. And it was a pretty determined win on a track that was not playing very well to horses from off of the pace. Great, great win from Matoli. And he's, he's your deserved sprint champ. I just wish Imperial Hint would have been in here. So that way, after the race, we could have said, I could have at least said, wow, Matoli beat the best. I, I just don't know. And some of you are going to say, well, the Met Mile. Well, here's my problem. Everybody talks about McKinsey as being overrated and not that good of a horse, but yet when Matoli beats McKinsey, he's a great horse. You can't have it both ways, right? Chancelot was good in defeat. Whitmore actually ran really well, and he closed on a track that wasn't easy to close on. The Breeders' Cup Mile, this was all about the ladies. Uni was double-digit lengths behind and then loomed up in a stretch battle with Got Stormy. They, those top two pulled away. They ran 1-2, and honestly, they were probably your best in here. I did not think this was a very strong renewal of the Breeders' Cup Mile, and I, I liked Circus Maximus because I felt like he had been facing just better Group 1-type horses. The way the race, the, the race shape of this mile was not beneficial for him. It's kind of a little too quick early. You could tell he was in between. He lost third to Bowie's Hero there. These are the two best horses in this race. And I wasn't sure how good they were, but they're they are legitimate group one animals. And they're very good. Uni and Got Stormy, and they're both gonna return next year, and we hope that we can see them uh, in a rematch. The Distaff, Blue Prize gets the win over Midnight Bisu, Serengeti Empress ran well, setting the pace and finishing third. She was able to get the lead crossover, open up two. When you look at Midnight Bisu, she broke well, and it was just like Omaha Beach. She tra- she broke well, then she tracked back. So she breaks well, and then she takes back. And then she's sitting about five lengths off, and then and then she goes from five lengths back to like seven to eight lengths back. That two lengths in the middle of the race where she drops back again might have been the difference between winning and losing. And I don't know if she was struggling over the track or if Mike just just thought the pace was a little too quick and he took her back a little bit, but it was eerily similar to what happened with Omaha Beach. And then Blue Prize is able to get the jump on Midnight Bisu and get rolling Midnight Bisu comes up onto terms with her But since Blue Prize had already got the jump Already got the momentum building This is a nice animal Midnight Bisu can't just go right by everyone I wasn't a big fan of this ride I don't think it was like an awful awful ride But I I, I thought the way the racetrack was playing I would have liked to see Midnight Bisu up closer Because she's the type of horse who can sit closer She doesn't need to be a stone cold closer some of these horses that are stone cold closers that don't have any speed, they were they were in trouble on this track. They didn't really have much of a shot. But the horses who can show speed, you had to try to get a little bit of that out of them to be to be placed into a nice spot. That was not the case with Omaha Beach, that was not the case with Midnight Bisu. We almost got a 50 to 1 shocker in the turf. United sat a close up third, had a length lead early in the stretch. Was able to keep Anthony Van Dyck pinned in. And 
AVD was a bit unlucky, was behind horses, didn't really get room till it was too late, and Bricks and Mortar got a nice opening in the stretch, angled out with dead aim, and got by United. What a season for Bricks and Mortar, your likely horse of the year. Unbelievable job training. So yeah, maybe maybe you play back Anthony Van Dyck, uh, and if he comes around next year, he'll be tough. And United, probably going to run again at the end of November. Was your longest shot in the field. And you know what? When you looked at United's form, he wasn't like a hopeless long shot with bad form. He just lightly raced. And he and he missed some races this year with some physical issues. The Breeders' Cup Classic. War of Will set the pace. McKinsey was tucked inside, was behind, was able to get out to the two path, and was a length um was able to get out to the two path, was just a length behind. Vino Rosso dropped back. They were they were close early, and then Vino Rosso dropped back about four or five lengths behind McKinsey. McKinsey briefly took the lead at the top of the lane, but he was no match for Vino Rosso. McKinsey a clear cut second. Vino Rosso, your Breeders' Cup Classic winner and your deserved winner. And we can't talk about this race without mentioning the unfortunate breakdown of Mongolian Groom. There have been lots of rumors about, and, and a video that I've seen out there where it it didn't look like Mongolian Groom might have been necessarily in the uh, in the best form all throughout the week. The connections were even talking about they how they didn't like how he was training, and then it's unfortunate to see that horse. Be the one that goes down Because I don't really think it had anything to do with this racetrack I really don't This was a racetrack that was was tough for a lot of horses To take it Seemed like they were struggling over it But it seemed like it was a very fair racetrack From all of the horsemen From all of the the jocks From all of the the, the valets And the, the gallop guys and girls Who were out on the racetrack They all seemed to think it was very very safe And it's unfortunate that that happened With, with Mongolian Groom Because I've been someone who has been very adamant about Santa Anita needing to make changes. I'm not someone who pushes the horse racing company line. I don't have any ties to horse racing as far anymore as far as working for companies, getting paychecks from people in the industry. Um, the, I'm lucky that the sponsors that I have here on That's What G Said, they never tell me not to say something. They never worry about things like that. They're completely fine with me expressing my opinion. And I've been very disappointed with what Santa Anita did. But I have to say, I'm not. I wasn't disappointed with what they did in the Breeders' Cup because I thought they did a very good job with the racetrack. Now, what I am disappointed with what happened afterwards. We all saw Mongolian groom breakdown. We all saw the incident. It happened live. Why do you take down the videos of the race replay? Why do you take down all of the videos of from XBTV? That have Mongolian Groom working out over the last few weeks Unless there was something wrong with Mongolian Groom Sometimes the cover up is much much worse Than if there's an actual crime And I don't know if anything went wrong Or was shady here But I never like When there's some sort of a cover up And you can't find races or videos Why? We need transparency Everybody saw it happen Those videos, the replays And those workouts from Mongolian Groom should be up there. Let's close things out with a little Del Mar Saturday, three plays for Saturday. Real quick, 
I want to let you know about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new DFS app for prop bets. You guys and gals like to play well, anything, right? I play the races, but like to gamble. So I play lots of Daily Fantasy, FanDuel, uh, DraftKings, um, all, all sorts of, of different ones I've, I've tried through the years. I like Thrive Fantasy because it is based around prop bets. So if you are someone who likes to bet props, go download the Thrive Fantasy app right now and I can give you a little bonus. If you deposit 10 bucks, use the promo code GINO, they'll give you 10 bucks right back. So you'll have $20 as you know, you, you could play around with. Go enter in a couple contests. I'm constantly playing. You can see me, uh, that's what G said in there. Uh, I won a couple hundred bucks a few weeks ago and I was able to transfer it right into my PayPal account. Very easy. I know with new companies a lot of the time or you're always worried about, can we get the money if we win? Absolutely. Um, and if you use the promo code Gino, you're literally putting a couple bucks in my pocket. I get percentages every time one of you signs up and uses the promo code Gino. So if you like me, you want to help me. I have a new baby on the way. I'm going to have a mouth to feed. Thrive Fantasy. Download the app. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. Deposit 10 bucks, and then you'll get an instant $10 credit right back. I mean, why not? If you're you're going to take a, a chance and look at something new, you want to have uh, you know, a, a little free handout, a little free roll, and that's what you're giving right here when you use that promo code G-I-N-O. Delmar, November the 9th. Get your past performances out. We have three plays for opening weekend at Delmar. Race number two, let's go to the one. Visual Magic. Visual Magic is going to be stretching out to a mile on the turf course. These are maiden special weights, fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up, and Visual Magic draws the rail. In career start number one, he sprinted on the grass. You know what? It really wasn't bad. He showed some late interest for a barn who is not good with first-time starters. So anytime you see a Carla Gaines first-time starter, just understand that they're probably not going to be cranked up and ready to go, and that they'll probably be better second time out. And Visual Magic... Well, on numbers and figures, he didn't improve. He actually did improve when you watch the race. He was five wide battling all the way around. He had four wide uh, journey at the top of the lane. It was just a really tough trip. Now he's going to go two sprints to a route. He gets the inside draw, goes back to the grass. I'm expecting much, much better. Bejarano keeps the faith in here. I think Visual Magic's going to be a lot closer, and I'm hoping he just sits right behind so much happy, who's probably going to be on the lead. Tiswell with my soul will be battling. Also comes out of that same race with Visual Magic, so the five will probably be up close, and I wouldn't be shocked if the seven gold arrow is close. Visual Magic saves ground from the inside and comes running. I just I hope he's not too caught up in the lead uh, in in a speed battle early. I'm thinking Bayerano save some ground, sit maybe. Just two, three lengths off the pace in here. Visual Magic. We're going to make a win wager on Visual Magic in the second race. The number one at anything over seven to two. We're going to go to race number four. And this is an optional 80. Two-year-olds. There's never won 15 other than Maiden claiming or starter. Never won two. Non-winners one. Um, turf course. Mile. Let's go to the seven. This is a powerful attraction who's going to be making her first start on the turf. But the dam was a multiple winner on the grass. And two of powerful attraction siblings have one on the grass. And when you look at the races that she comes out of, she's a debut winner. 
Comes back into Sorrento She's behind a horse named Amalfi Sunrise Who was 2 for 2 And who looked like the best 2 year old filly For Simon Callahan Before she had some physical issues And was sent to the bench And then Powerful Attraction Was in the grade 1 Del Mar debutante And that was a race where you could probably just put a line right through it It was too bad to believe She was behind Bast Bast came out of that race to win a grade 1 next And then was 3rd in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies I think Powerful Attraction has been facing better Now she gets to the grass She could get, should get a nice setup in here With I think some speed from Savvy Gal Navy Queen will likely be forwardly placed in here Convoluted has speed Eclair has shown speed Akai has shown speed Siak Lisa has shown speed That should give Powerful Attraction a, a really nice setup from off the pace in here The 7, Powerful Attraction will play in all the exotics We'll make a win wager on the 7 If we can get 3 to 1 Let's go to race number six. I think the three beautiful thunder. You know, if you're playing some sort of late exotics or any exotics, don't dismiss the three who has speed in a race that doesn't look like there's a whole ton of it. The problem is, I think you have a lot of these horses who are lightly raced and then some who are stretching out. So I'm expecting a few others to show some speed coming out of these five furlong races. I mean, wouldn't be shocked to see Awesome Ella have a little more speed. Why can't I give up? Just show more speed this time uh, You look at Lacey You look at Sabino's Pride with the blinkers on Any of these horses Could show a little bit more speed You know With, with just such a Small resume But we're going to go to the one Awesome Ella, 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 Ella A, 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 A After, after, awesome Ella Ella, Ella Who missed the break last out Was eight lengths off Angles to the outside, widest of all Was 5-6 wide, gets up for 4th Now, stretches out Draws the rail She doesn't have to be as far back I'm thinking she sits, you know, 3rd, 4th in here Early behind uh, A couple, Beautiful Thunder probably goes to the lead Awesome Ella Kent D, Bob Hess Jr A lethal team through the years We're going to make a win wager On Awesome Ella at anything over 9-2 to two. Three plays at Del Mar for Saturday. Second race, number one, Visual Magic. Make a win wager at seven to two. Fourth race, the number seven, Powerful Attraction. We'll make a win wager at three to one. Make sure to use those in your early pick fives. And in the sixth race, the number one, Awesome Ella. We'll make a win wager at nine to two. That is going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thank you, folks. Uh, Always will ask if you have a second to head on over to iTunes, to SoundCloud, to uh, Google Pause, to tune in, to YouTube, subscribe. If you can, and iTunes, leave a nice five-star rating and review. These help us move up the charts. They help us gain a little more money with sponsors. And then follow us on social media, on Twitter, at It's Me, Gino B, over on Facebook. You can find us, facebook.com slash Gino Bacola and G Bacola on Instagram. We send it, like always, to my good friend Joey Cleveland to close it out. And hey, by the next time I record uh, an episode of That's What G Said, I'm going to be a father. Got a little man on the way. Thanks again, folks. Best of luck this weekend.